All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we'll load that slideshow there, awesome. We've been going through a series on the existence of God, and at this point, I just want to kind of take a break for just a moment and talk to you about a couple things. We've gone through some pretty heady stuff. We've been through science, philosophy, history, I mean, all sorts of things that a lot of times we don't talk about in church. And uh, I want to ask you this question, uh, and I'd like you to think about it until, until next week, and we'll hopefully tie it together. But what are some of the things that God uses to bring people to himself? What are some of the things that God uses to bring people to a place to where they're willing to trust Jesus with all of their life? Now, for some people, they, they, think, they think it's music, and does the Lord use music? Absolutely. Some people say, well, it's, it's expository preaching, which we're actually doing. Uh, some people say, well, it's, it's loving people when they've had a bereavement, they lost somebody that's very close to them. People who love Jesus are there and they minister to those needs. Some people say, well, if you, if you take care of the basic needs of people as far as um, finances, for people going through difficult time to meet those needs of financial needs, and that's what God uses to bring people to himself. And the answer for us is all of the above. And what we're going through these last few weeks, which will cap it off Next week, we'll talk about which God, because we've talked about the existence of God, and if you don't have a rock in your shoe at this point, you probably need to go back and listen to our messages again and work through those notes, because if you're a skeptic and an atheist, and to this point, you've not been able to come up with serious, logical, rational, historical, warranted objections to what we've been talking about, then again, we're not saying that anybody here is smarter than anybody else, but you need to go back through and listen to it again to be honest and rational. But a lot of times in church, we say this. I hear from preachers all the time. Well, I don't want to go over their heads. And I say to some of my preacher buddies, I'm like, dude, I don't know about your church, but there's people in my church and they go over my head. When I begin to ask about, well, what do you do for a living and how do you figure out such and such? I think a cardinal sin in many churches is we come to it and we think that people are dumb. It's not true. Say, so, well, I don't want to go over their head. And maybe, just maybe, the state of the American church, especially with our students, that many of whom, a massive majority, they go off to college and they lose their faith never to return. Maybe, just maybe, if we didn't play patty cake in sermons and we actually talked about things that you kind of have to put on the, the, the thinking cap to follow, and they realize that there's actually incredible evidence for not only the existence of God, but the the God of the Bible, and not only that, a massive evidence for the exist or for the truth of the Bible. So I think that you guys can track with it. And sometimes when I'm in conversation with you and I'm going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so those of us, and you say, well, Jeff, this is just not my thing. Like, my thing is just, I don't know, it's like doing things and fixing things, like the, the theology, the, the, the philosophical messages that we've been going through, that's just not the way that I track. Ask the Lord to help you, and if you have children, you're going to need to track with this, regardless of whether you like it or not. 
That's just a newsflash. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, you've got to be able to track with this because it's no longer the world of 1950 that my mom grew up in. She grew up in school, public school, to where they would pray. They would quote scripture like that was totally normal. It was abnormal to have to have doubts about the existence of God or that Jesus is the son of God. But today, today, most of our students live in a world in which it is abnormal to really believe that the word of God is what it says that it is and that Jesus is the son of God. And what that means is that he saves us and he transforms us to live a missional life. If you have students who believe that, they are the minority. So God help us and God forgive us for saying, quote, that's going to be over their head from a preacher's perspective. And God help us for listening to these things many times and saying, well, that's not the way that I normally enjoy studying. So I'm just not going to deal with it. Your children will deal with it, regardless if they go in the military, if they go straight into uh, skilled trade, whether they go into college, they will deal with these things. And the question is, uh, are you willing to love them enough to try to learn these things so that you can talk about it? That's where we are. So let's, let's get started. We're going to talk about the existence of God, part six, cosmology and contingency. Genesis chapter one, beginning in verse one. This is what the Bible says. In the beginning, that is a radical, radical, radical statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. The existence of the universe. Here's what we're going to try to get across this morning, that Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Now, that's deep, right? Now, on the average, we don't, we don't doubt that. But here's the thing. Last week, we talked about Darwinism, evolution, macroevolution, microevolution. We talked, if you go on to underneath the microscope, we talked about that. Today, we're going to pull out this telescope and look at the, at the cosmos and the existence as a whole. And here's the key term that our message this morning will hinge upon, and it is the word contingent, and it means occurring or existing only if certain other circumstances are the case. So in other words, what we're going to say this morning is that the universe is contingent upon something or someone else for its existence. So here's the question. Where did the universe come from? This is a phrase you may want to write down to look up later. Ex nihilo, it means out of nothing. That is what we as believers in Christ believe that God did with the universe. He created it from nothing. He brought something out of nothingness. Or has the universe all already, was it already here? So here's something if you want to look up as well. And by the way, all of these notes are on the website. You can pull out your tablet, device, smartphone, follow along with us there. It has the footnotes for you to go do further study if you'd like. But here's what's called the Kalam cosmological argument. And here, here it goes. Number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. Number three, therefore a cause of the universe exists. In the cosmological argument, it basically defends the notion that whatever begins to exist has a cause. Now, notice that this argument is not that everything that exists must have a cause, since that would mean that God himself has been caused. And we'll deal with that issue, who made God, at the end of this message. But what it does is it focuses on the contingent nature of the universe, meaning that the universe simply being here does not explain why the universe is here. 
Before we jump into that, let's look at a few interesting facts about the universe. This picture is a photo of North America if you kind of transplanted that onto Jupiter. You talk about massive. And this is just like one little section of Jupiter. Massive, massive planet. There's also, I figured we'd throw this in here, Franklin County, moonshine capital of the world, um, about 6,500 light years away, W3OH, there is a cloud of alcohol. And you know the difference between Baptist and alcohol. If you have a party and you invite two Baptists, then you drink all the alcohol. If you invite one Baptist, he drinks all the alcohol. And as your pastor, still in 2015, I think it's wise not to drink. We've got a great message on that that will spoil um, what many people think fun is all about. You can find that on the website. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Now, this blew my mind. This is Olympus Mons, the biggest, the biggest mountain in our solar system. It's on Mars, and it is 16 miles high and 372 miles across. And all God's people said, whoa. I mean, that, is, that makes Everest look like an anthill. I mean, 16 miles high on Mars, 372 miles across. What we're saying here is that the universe, when we really begin to think about it, just Google it, it is crazy, insanely big. Like sit there at night, not be able to go to sleep, thinking about the massive size of just what's in our solar system. And what I think is so amazing is the Bible talks about cosmology. The Bible talks about what exists beyond our stratosphere. Psalm 19.1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm chapter 8, verses 2 through 4, the Bible says, this is the psalmist speaking, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Now, this is an amazing thought. This takes place around 3,000 years ago. No, no Hubble telescope, no telescope that you can buy for your kid off of Amazon, but even the psalmist in that day knew that God was there, knew that God had revealed himself as the God of the Bible, but still said, wow, I don't have a telescope. I don't even know what that is. It's not been invented yet. But imagine... All of what I see is so vast in comparison to us, and even more so to me. What am I? Who am I that God would regard me at all? So the first premise of this argument is whatever begins to exist has a cause. And here's a very deep statement that you may have to have a philosophy degree to track with, but we're going to try it. Things do not come into being on their own. Thank you. Let me say that again. Things do not come into being on their own. Would you say that's a rational statement? Something cannot cause itself to come into existence, right? Like something does not exist, it cannot cause itself to come into existence because it doesn't exist. But here's the question. Is it possible for something, whether it's the cosmos or whether... I mean, it's a wrench to come into existence with no cause whatsoever. Let me take, for example, this is probably the most normal families in Hollywood, Tom Hanks, incredible, incredible actor. This is the Hanks family. All of the Hanks children are contingent upon Tom and his wife, right? 
They can trace their existence back to their parents. And I know this is a horrible thought, especially for middle schoolers and high schoolers, but you came from your parents and something happened in order for you to be here. That's a healthy marriage. And again, if you're, if you're in middle school, high school, you don't, oh, give me, give me the heebie-jeebies. I don't want to think about it. But you are contingent upon your parents. Not only their existence, but a certain act that led to your existence and led to my existence. So regardless if you have a family like this, I just had to throw this up here, awkward family photos, or whether they're like, bro, that's my mom and dad. Like if you knew my family, you'd understand, Jeff, right? Like that's, regardless of what background you come from, let's go to the next one. I mean, come on, how can a parakeet and an AK-47 not go together, right? That all of us, when we really sit down and think about this seriously and rationally, all of us are contingent upon our parents and our parents upon their parents. You go back and you get to the very foundations, the very beginning of the universe. So we have to ask the question, is the universe contingent upon something else? And we're going to see what science tells us. You don't even have to go to Bible verses for this. What science tells us is that there was a time in which the universe began to exist. So here's the cosmological argument from contingency. We've already kind of hit on that, so we'll go past it. Again, these notes are online uh, if you're an absolute um, nerd. So number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, the universe began to exist. We'll look at three reasons why we can rationally believe that that's the case. Number one, we'll look at the expanding universe. Number two, we'll look at what's called entropy, that second law of thermodynamics. And number three, there's a philosophical reason that there's no actual infinite number of events. So number one, the expanding universe. If you'd been back in the 1920s, you would have heard about, right, Edwin Hubble. And he looked at throughout the Hubble telescope and he saw something amazing. He saw that the universe is expanding. It's interesting, and these are some biblical references that you can go look up later, that the Bible Thousands of years old talks about an expanding universe. It talks about God stretching out the heavens. Now, here's the reason why Hubble's discovery was so dramatic. And here's a picture of Edwin Hubble. Because most scientists in that day, including Einstein, believed that the universe was eternal. They said it's always been here. The universe is what they call a brute fact, meaning it's simply here. But what Hubble found and what all cosmologists today can believe is that if you rewound the VHS tape, y'all remember the VHS tape rewinders, right? So you don't wear the VHS tape, good, good times. You rewind it, that expanding universe, and you come to a point on the, on the overhead of an initial cosmological singularity, a.k.a. the bottom of an ice cream cone means a point of beginning. And we're like, that's not that revolutionary. You know why it bothered scientists? This drove Einstein crazy. Einstein's pretty smart. And they knew that observing the known universe expanding, that if you rewound it, it comes back to a cosmological singularity, a.k.a. go back to Genesis in the boom, in the beginning. They said this creates a serious philosophical problem because if the universe has not always been here, then we have to deal with where did it come from? 
And the reason why it bothered so many scientists is because they now had to deal scientifically with the question of God. With the origins of the universe. It's interesting, pre-Hubble, most scientists believed that the universe had always been here. Most religions around the world believed in a cyclical universe. They didn't believe in linear history. And by the way, the Bible is absolutely revolutionary because I can imagine people in Moses' time, all of the Near East, they didn't believe in history as we know it, to where you start at one point and then you continue and you go to a certain point. They believed that everything was a cycle. And when Moses wrote under the inspiration of the hand of God and the Spirit of God in the beginning, people had to, those tribes around the Israelites would be like, man, those Jews are crazy. Those Israelites, I mean, I don't know what they're smoking, but there's no beginning. Everything's a cycle. But what we now know scientifically is that the universe actually had a beginning. Bam, beginning verse in the Bible says exactly the same thing that science didn't know until the 1920s. I think that's incredibly, incredibly impactful. So the scientific argument, number one, the expanding universe. Some Christians are afraid of the words big bang. We're not going to get into the specifics, but here's the thing. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a follower of him, and you believe the Bible, Big Bang should equal, in your mind, beginning. Beginning. The age of the universe, the age of the earth is another matter. But there are so many people that before Hubble said there can be a beginning, because how can you explain that? We can explain it by God. And the way that the universe is expanding, um, it's, it's called redshift. It's kind of like if you ever hear uh, an ambulance coming towards you. It's a and then once it gets past you, it's the same thing with redshift. We know that the universe is rapidly um, expanding. It's something that we can scientifically, empirically verify. And then some people say, okay, well, we see the expanding universe, but couldn't you adopt an oscillating model, right? Like the, the fan that oscillates, it just kind of fluctuates, it goes back and forth. It's like some people's mood swings, right? Like they're never stable, they just always, well, how, why can we not opera, adopt an oscillating universe? Well, number one, we don't have any evidence of it. We don't. That's where the person who says, I don't want to believe in a beginning, that's where they go beyond science and they go into faith. Not only that, but if you have a continual bang, crunch, expanding universe, it's going to use up the usable energy, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments, in entropy, and since there's still usable energy in the universe, the universe could not have been here forever. This is a popular picture that you see on Facebook or the internet. It's about um, this idea of... it's. The skeptics say the universe did not have a beginning, but what it has done is it oscillates. In other words, there's no point of beginning. But here's the problem. There's absolutely no evidence for this, but there is evidence that the universe actually had a point of cosmological singularity. So if people throw this up on the Facebook post, say, wow, I didn't know that religion and philosophy were your hobbies. Seriously. Because this is not a scientific argument because there's no evidence for this. Everything that we can see and observe said that the universe had a specific beginning. An objection here is to say, well, the idea of an absolute beginning to time is, as the little man says on Princess Bride, inconceivable. But we can respond to say, well, the idea of an uncaused universe, that's actually what is inconceivable. So the scientific reason, number one, is that the universe is expanding. Number two, it's the idea of entropy. Entropy. 
Entropy, this is from Dr. Greg Welty, it says that the universe could be likened to a cup of coffee that will eventually grow old and sour after time. How many coffee drinkers do we have here this morning? All right, we need to pray for you people because you guys are just like the coffee drinkers that I know. They say, boy, I really wish that I could quit. You don't drink coffee? You should start. I can't believe you don't drink coffee. What's wrong with you? Boy, I think they really need to stop drinking coffee. I'm like, so which is it? Do you want me to start an addiction or do you want me to maintain not having one um, with that? So here's the idea. Here's the idea with entropy. Entropy says that everything is going from a state of order to disorder. Everything is going from structure to having no structure. And the idea behind this concept of entropy is that one day, and this is from a purely scientific viewpoint, one day the universe, since it's a closed system, will go to the point where all of the usable energy will be used up and it will be like an old cup of coffee and it will go down to zero degrees Kelvin, as as cold as you can possibly go, and it will be what's called heat death of the universe. But here's something that we know from science, that entropy is actually increasing. In other words, the amount of usable energy is growing less and less and less. And here's kind of a picture of the second law of thermodynamics, which is entropy. Everything tends towards disorder. Imagine if you were back in the 70s and you wanted to get yourself an awesome ride. Here we have an Oldsmobile station wagon, the Vista Cruiser. I will ask for a show of hands for those of you who have ridden in one, but they are absolutely awesome. You can roll the back, you can roll the back window down as you're facing the traffic, and as an eight or nine-year-old child, when your parents are not looking, you can throw objects out at the cars. <laughs> then your parents wonder why people on the road are so angry when they drive past. Daniel, I confess my past too this morning. You, you buy something and it's new, right? Like it's, it's good. Uh, and let's even think back for us. If you can go back through pictures, you go some, you go, I go back to, boy, I was such a, I was so awesome when I was in high school, right? I could lift this or, you know, ladies, I was, I could fit in this size of dress and it was just such a great time in my early 20s, whatever it may be. And then some of us, we look at the pictures and as the years go, you know what we see? Entropy. <laughs> Going from a state of order to disorder. So you take a car or our face and you put time with it and you go from order down to disorder. That's the concept of entropy. And here's where it's very interesting for the, uh, for the scientists or we could say the skeptics who say that the universe is eternal. Universe has a certain amount of energy unless you say that there are multiple universes and we dealt with that a few weeks ago and say, well, how do you get, how do you get the universe creator, right? How do you get that machine that just just pumps out multiple universes. That's a bigger problem. So for the ones who say, well, you know, it's been here forever, say, how do you explain that? Because if it's been here forever, then you would have used up a finite or a limited amount of energy, right? Universe doesn't have infinite amounts of energy. So if the universe has always been here, then total entropy would have already happened, right? If you have, again, Infinite amount of time, limited amount of energy, we would have already hit total entropy, but we haven't. Some of us have a few years, right? Still, hang on, not going to go any further with that, right? Like there's still usable energy in the universe, so that means philosophically, scientifically, the universe has not always been here. Here's what Mr. Einstein says about entropy. He says, quote, entropy is the premier law of science, 
In other words, you have to take anything physical. This doesn't refer to numbers or God, since neither of those are, are physical. But everything that's matter, everything that's stuff, us, the pews, your motorcycle, your kids' pacifier, all of that is subject to entropy. Jeremy Rifkin says matter and entropy can only be changed in one direction. That is, from usable to unusable, from available to unavailable, or from ordered to disordered. That's the nature of a physical universe. It runs down. And then again, people say, well, the universe is not a closed system, but it's receiving energy from another source. Number one, that only pushes the problem back one step. Where do you get the stuff that's supposedly coming into the universe if it's not a closed system. And this is, again, if someone says, well, maybe the universe is not a closed system, you can say, cool, I didn't know that religion and philosophy were your hobbies. Because that's not a scientific statement. That is a statement that says, here's what science says. The universe is finite. It's not always been here. It's running down. But what I'm going to do, because I don't want to believe and admit that there's a God, I'm going to say that it could be a multiple universe. That's called speculation. That's not called evidence. Norman Geisler said, if the universe is unwinding, then it was wound up. There's a cosmological argument from entropy that you can look at later. And we've referenced this before. The third reason why we can say that the universe began to exist, it's because there's no actual infinite number of events. Again, going back to entropy, if there were, we would have already hit uh, maximum entropy. And we have some Aristotle quotes here if you'd like to go back and read that. Here's what Mr. Richard Dawkins, the most famous, famous English-speaking atheist in the world, says about infinite regress. He says, even if we allow the dubious luxury of arbitrarily conjuring up a terminator to an infinite regress. In other words, he's saying a beginning cause. And giving it a name, there is absolutely no reason to endow that terminator with any of the properties normally ascribed to God. Omnipotence, omniscience, goodness, creativity, or design, to say nothing of such human attributes as listening to prayers, forgiving sins, and reading innermost thoughts. Here's what Mr. Dawkins is saying. He's saying that even if we can posit and believe that there is a beginning cause to the universe, a.k.a. God. You still can't say that God has these attributes. But this is where we get into next week. What if God has made himself clear by invading history and doing something supernatural that can only be explained in terms of this is outside the realm of science, human reason. Then it's almost like God, if he comes and says, here's a miracle, here's who I am, then you can absolutely ascribe those things to him. Amen? I can't wait till next week. It's going to be so good. And finally, number three, therefore, a cause of the universe exists. So here's the question. What was the cause of the universe? We have three alternatives here. Number one, the universe is a brute fact. It means the universe has always existed. It has an infinite past. We've seen two scientific reasons, one hardcore philosophical reason why that cannot be the case. Number two, Self-creation. I love this one. <clears throat> means the universe just popped into existence from nothing with absolutely no cause. Now, if you would love to believe that, it's a free country, but you can believe bad arguments that show your bias and presuppositions like nothing else, and this would be one. Number three, the universe was caused to exist by something, or we could say 
someone outside it. Option one, the universe has always existed, has an infinite past. We've dealt with that, right? Number two, self-creation. The universe popped into existence with no cause whatsoever. If you believe that, that is an incredible amount of faith on your part. And maybe you can get on a Christian programming late night show and raise money for your plane. So there's two lurking questions here. Number one, is it reasonable to think that there are any exceptions to the idea that anything comes into existence that is caused to exist by something else? Like we know that everything that began to exist is caused by something else. So the question is, are there exceptions to that? Number two, is it reasonable to think that the universe as a whole is an exception to this idea? That's really where the rubber meets the road. To say that the universe was uncaused or the universe had always been here is to say that the universe, meaning everything that exists physically, is an exception to this logical rule. There are some people who say, well, what about quantum mechanics? Now, we're about to go hyper-nerd action here, so stay with me. Quantum mechanics is at the subatomic level to where it's so small that scientists don't even track it in terms of definites, but it tracks it in terms of probabilities. Quantum events, this is from Greg Gansel's book, um, Thinking About God. He says, quantum events are not primarily cases of something coming into existence, but they are cases in the state of a particle. So for those who try to use quantum mechanics, because you look at it and it's just like we don't even really know how to track it, it's not referring to something that comes into existence from nothingness, but it's having to do with changes in the state of this particle. We even have Richard Feynman, for those of you science nerds, he says, quote unquote, I say safely that nobody understands quantum mechanics. Do not keep saying to yourself, but how can it be like that? Nobody knows how it can be like that. So what he's saying is a top quantum theorist. He's saying when you study quantum mechanics, it is the weird, weird world of quantum mechanics. It's kind of like if Ozzy Osbourne had a science show on the subatomic level, that would be it. Just nothing mixes together. But notice he says, do not keep saying to yourself, but how can it Quantum mechanics does not teach that the it is coming into being from nothingness. It's talking about fluctuations in the state of that it, but we're just not able to exactly know what the particles are doing. So be very careful when a skeptic tries to throw quantum mechanics, because quantum mechanics do not deal with the creation of something from nothing, but it has to do with particles that are already there. Physicist P.C.W. Davies, a famous scientist, says, quote, the coming into being of the universe as discussed in modern science is not just a matter of imposing some sort of organization upon a previous incoherent state, but literally the coming into being of all physical things from nothing. Alex Vilenkin, another famous scientist, said, it is said that an argument is what convinces reasonable men, and a proof is what it takes to convince even an unreasonable man. With the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of, past eternal, of a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. So if these are what scientists are saying that don't even necessarily believe in the word of God, then a question for us is if the universe hasn't always existed, then where did it come from? 
This is Mr. Daniel Dennett. He's the one who said, as we referenced last week, that as time goes forward, we need to hang on to the Baptist and keep a few and kind of put them as a display in a museum. Because you guys are so ignorant. Here's what he said. That the universe essentially creating itself is the ultimate bootstrapping trick. He literally believes that the universe came into being from nothingness and caused itself to exist. That's crazy. That's not science. That's not good philosophy. That's not even clear thinking. That is called biases and presuppositions that say, I don't want God to exist. So therefore, even though the scientific evidence points directly to God, I'm going to choose the crazy over Christ. And by the way, regardless if it's science or an addiction, it always goes down to when we choose to reject Christ, it's always the crazy over Christ. So finally, the universe was caused to exist by something or someone outside of it. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, that God created the heavens and the earth. The question, some people say, well, who made God? The question is what's called a category error. It assumes that God is within the class of things that are made. Number, again, the premise one for this argument is that everything that begins to exist has a cause. God has no beginning and no end. Now, here's where some people say, now, Jeff, what you're doing is you're assuming that. But before we go further, let me just remind all of us that the atheist does exactly the same thing with the universe. The atheist says that the universe has always been here. The universe has caused itself to exist. Here's the options. The universe causes itself to exist. That means that physical everything came into being from nothingness and it caused itself to come in, into being or there is no cause for it. Or you have the other option of saying that an eternal God who is, who's not physical, an unembodied mind, Jesus says those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit. You have the option of the universe created itself from nothing or that no cause for the universe exists and everything that's physical came into being from really no cause. Or you have the other option. That God who always has existed, and by the way, the fact that God is not a physical being means that he could exist forever and never grow old because he's not physical, so entropy wouldn't apply. Let it soak. If God was physical, he would get old. He would have to if he, if he works within this universe that he's created. But since God is not physical, God can exist forever, not grow old, not grow tired. Which brings us to the conclusion Frank Turek and Norm Geisler in their book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, say, and I quote, it takes more faith to be a non-Christian than it does to be a Christian. Straight up. Come to the conclusion of this message and we're going to tap it off next week with who is God? How can you know which God to choose from? There may be some of you and you've come here and you've been searching, you've really been wanting to know what is what is reality? What is truth? Is there a God? And if so, which one? 